Hello, and welcome to the Grand Cinema Hotel, a podcast hosted by three friends who love cinema. I'm Gus, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Nate and Alvaro. Tonight, you'll be staying in Room 132, The Thing, the extraterrestrial horror classic directed by John Carpenter. So go ahead, throw on that Do Not Disturb sign, and get comfortable as we try to survive The Thing. 100,000 years ago, it found its way into our galaxy. An alien creature had frozen, but not to death. And man... It isn't Benny! ...is the warmest place to hide. What's going on, all you things? Thanks for checking back in the Grand Cinema Hotel. As always, if you're listening on YouTube, hit the thumbs up, give us a like, shoot us a comment, hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anything else like that, subscribe for notifications so you know when we drop our newest video. Which takes us into the third movie of our horror movie showdown, The Elite Eight. Number three is John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. An absolute fucking classic right masterpiece right so i think we want to start off by talking a little bit about you know where were we how old were we were when we first saw this and what kind of impact it it held on our entire lives (laughs) because it's really (laughs) one of those movies if i had to make a guess did did you see it at a young age nate i did see this at a young so i think you should go first because i already know me and ro seen this around a similar time okay (laughs) so i think i saw this i was probably like i was young i was probably like eight or nine i actually this is one where i did not watch by myself in the darkness of my room (laughs) (laughs) we've unpacked a lot about nate i know right (laughs) in this horror show leave your fucking room now (laughs) uh, no i watched this with my dad and my brother my brother was really young when he saw this but um yeah, this was one where I didn't really know a whole lot about it, obviously, pretty young, and saw it and was just blown away. I don't think I had ever seen practical effects like they have in this movie, and I just couldn't believe, even now rewatching it, but like how realistic everything kind of seemed, and it just, <laughs> it just felt different than a lot of other movies that I saw. And I think just, I don't know, it hit really hard with me. So. It's probably because it draws you in from the very Yeah, beginning, no, it really does. It, it almost kind of feels, I mean, it's not really an epic, but it... When I saw it, I guess I kind of had like the feeling like, wow, like this here we grand. go. This is, this is a lot. Yeah, this is like one of those movies. And yeah, ever since then, this has been in my probably top five movies of all time, not even just horror movies. This is one that I hold near and dear to my heart, and I've watched it probably every couple years. Yeah. I love this movie. So what about you guys? Um, okay, so I probably saw this movie somewhere between five, six years ago. It's when Ro and I really started getting into like, quote-unquote real movies mm-hmm. or like let's dig into directors that we actually find interesting so my two of my big ones in the beginning that i was like i i want to start here was john carpenter and david lynch so i had row just like load up a a thumb drive of like every david lynch and every... legally downloaded movies oh of course yes, yeah yes. of course of course i own all of them no pirates <laughs> no, no pirates no um so I started making my way through his filmography, and The Thing is just one of those movies that is in the, it's in your, it's in your universe if you know about movies because as soon as you start talking about movies with people, it's inevitably inevitably going to come up eventually. So it's just one of those things where it's like when I was looking at like list or uh, getting people's opinions on like the great horror movies to check out, The Thing was always up there. So it was one of the ones that I 
wanted to see right away and then i did and i know ro probably watched it like we i think we may have watched it together for the very first time and it's incredible i mean it's a top tier like five out of five a movie's movie yeah. you know what i mean like it's got all of the movie stuff it checks all the boxes and i think i think it's safe to say it's probably john carpenter's best movie i, I, I would think agree. so and i think it's interesting because he's gone out and said it's his favorite of his movies so yeah i mean it's the audience and the director agreeing because i feel like maybe for the most part directors try to like the one that maybe most people don't like yeah. like it'd be like paul thomas anderson being like yeah magnolia, magnolia is, is the best or QT being like Jackie Brown is my favorite movie. I mean. Yeah. But, and it's more of a way to just like up the movie to bring mm-hmm. that relevance back to it. But no, I think this is a fan and director agreement that this is his strongest piece of work for sure. I think a lot of it probably has, he got a lot of, he had a lot more money to work with with this movie than a lot it's of his yeah. ones. It's not just indie. You so know? yeah, I think that probably had a lot but to do with Ro, it. But Ro, do you want to talk about how you felt the first time we watched this movie? <laughs> Did you feel good, sir? Yeah. I mean, the first time we watched this movie, I think we might have watched it here, right? Of course, yeah, so like, this um, is the movie place. <laughs> um, yeah, I was blown away. I think it's like from the get-go, it was like this is one of the coolest, just best written movies that I've ever seen. I just always love the whodunit type of thing, you know? And, oh, man, John Carpenter's style just kind of just speaks to me in a, in a way that like, I know 80s is just kind of corny to some people or like the kind of effects or the kind of like John Carpenter's approach to things with this movie to me just speaks like he was in his bag for this movie. Everything that he's known for is excelled at 100%. I know um, we had, when we earlier talked about Halloween, we kind of talked about how the score, he kind of overused it a little bit, but I felt like in this movie, it's so, it is used a lot, but it's way more subtle and it actually adds to the tension way more than it does like in Halloween. Cause it's Ennio Morricone dog. Yeah. Like this is the guy, you know what I mean? Like some of the most iconic scores, like the good, the bad and the ugly, which is like, do I need to say more after that? No, you know? like, that's but, a, yeah. but these two and the thing and, uh, hey, fully come on, don't play me like <laughs> <laughs> Halloween. Um, no, what, what are you talking about? Get the bad and the ugly. Oh, the good the and the scores. ugly oh. and the thing. I swear he was trying to confuse me on purpose. Chippendale yeah. Rescue Rangers. Yeah. That's next week. Jaws. Um, okay, can you mute him real quick? Um, no, I think that those two scores alone is like enough to cement anybody. To like, no, yeah. This is a, yeah, this that's is a, a Hall of Fame entrance without master. a doubt. Yeah. And not even to mention all the other work, which I don't have in front of me, so I'm not going to pretend that I'm just going to pull one off the top of my head. But he is just so fucking good at adding the tension in the images of something that might not even be that scary, but there's just so much going on. Like, I even noticed, because I try to watch this, like, as loud as possible, and I don't even know if this is the right term, but you would hear it in, like, Stanley Kubrick films, like, 2001, where it's, like, an operatic, like, aria in the back of like you have the strings and the percussions and all of that going and then you hear these haunting like like through the whole time and that operatic stuff always like is always used for alien type encounters yep and even something like i know you like the fifth element right Mm -hmm. bro like there's that alien that sings opera and stuff like that i don't know why but i just feel like that's a funny little trope of like alien and opera are in the same universe. High of, art. Yeah, like weird high art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you either got to use that or synth. Do you know what I mean? But uh, Yeah, and John Carpenter <laughs> uses both. Yeah. But I will say, um, just from the viewing, and that was before we had really dove into just watching quote-unquote good movies all the time. It just stood out so People much, you know anything, what I mean? Really. Yeah. 
and, and it really just stood out and it stood out ever since i think i've watched it once a year ever since i mean now that i collect physical you know copies of stuff yeah i i have it in 4k you got the shirt on right now i have the shirt on. yeah like it, it definitely is like i mean you guys said it too like it's in my top five it, it's just to me it's perfect in every way and it also i guess yesterday when i was watching it i don't know how much it truly really leans i guess and now kind of looking back into like the horror elements of it but it is the entity of an alien it is one of the most horror driven um themes that you could do as a human you know what i mean like the unknown is always just in general arguably the scariest thing it's true because i mean honestly like so like when i was younger obviously like a lot of the horror aspects came from the thing itself like the transformations and just like how disgusting everything was it's just like dude what the fuck yeah it's disgusting like you know what i mean but the older that i get and every time i rewatch it it's almost like the isolation and the paranoia and the anxiety aspect of yeah. the movie, like that horror aspect has almost trumped the the body horror of the actual thing. So this movie just has a whole lot going for it, I feel like. Like he just capitalizes on so many different aspects of what would be horror. And like I know we even talked about too when we were doing this horror movie bracket that we wanted to keep a lot of the sci-fi horror movies off. Yeah. But I think that we ended up deciding that this seems to be... It's almost kind of hard to say, but more of a horror movie than a sci-fi just because of, I don't know, like, I like to think of it as, like, the set and the setting, like, you know, like, this. Yeah. it's not really about why the alien is here, mm-hmm. how do we stop it, let's just, like, um, let's study it, which is what a lot of cheaper movies would turn into. It is just about the, okay, so it's sci-fi, but it's, like, Lovecraft, like, Lovecraft mm-hmm. sci-fi, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's about the unknown and the terror that these men are going through. And it isn't so much about it being an alien or, like, the alien having a will. It's more of just this nature being so cold and uncaring about man and, like, humanity's mm-hmm. problems. Like, it, I, it, we don't even know if the thing can acknowledge that these are human beings that yeah. it's messing with. Like, it's just trying to survive. It's just an We don't know if it landed here on purpose. We don't know anything. And that's the whole Lovecraft aspect of it. And even the appearance of the thing itself, right? It's... It's straight out of Lovecraft. You can look at it, but you cannot describe what you're seeing. No. And that's that's like the psychological horror of the whole thing. And it's one of the reasons I like this movie so yeah. much is because it perfectly encapsulates H.P. Lovecraft's work in in a film, which is very hard to do. It's incredibly hard to do. W- Most films that do try to take on that challenge fail. I never know if it's a cop-out, but the whole idea of like, it's undescribable. Yeah. But how would you really describe what you're seeing in this movie like yeah. even now even though i've seen it five six times i don't know what to call it no yeah that's, you know what it's I mean? literally just the thing and i think that's funny that you brought that up because my brother he has the same argument with me because i i'm a big fan of lovecraft like i really do i, I enjoy his books i enjoy like everything surrounding his mythos like i think it's really i don't enjoy the big racism part well no but. of course not all right all right all right pretty cool but no like just this the ideas that he created i think are interesting and my brother like he always hates and he he always flames me he's like oh it was so scary that i couldn't put into words what it is it was just that scary but it's like yeah i get i i see the turnoff like that for people but that's what this movie does is it takes that i can't describe what this is and i have no fucking idea what to do about this and it puts it on the big screen and it it smashes it out of the park i think um that's like just movies in general you can't really when there's a movie is really good 
there aren't words that can describe images. If a picture is worth a thousand words, what is a movie then, you know? Um, and Millions I, of subtext. Exactly. <laughs> and then I will say that my favorite part about this movie is the stuff that you guys are touching up upon that, like, um, as a kid, you could kind of see eliminating the thing is the goal. But then the older you get, it's actually identifying the thing, which is... At, at, a, at a scary part, like it, it comes down to that isolation, them having to do everything by themselves. And it actually kind of ties back to the Grand Master that I always like tying it into. Like, The Shining is the only other movie that has that same type of, like, that isolation is going to make you crazy. And it kind of take that is the forefront of why the movie is so scary. Like what um, Nate is saying, um, that's why I think it made it into the horror bracket as opposed to Alien, is because Alien is more on the sci fi side. But this, that whole isolation, being in Antarctica, being in this cold, cold weather, is it just seems like it's the the worst conditions for the worst thing that could happen and i i just think everything about this movie is so good and the ambiance is created by john carpenter i think he's the best director to have brought it back up and he has such love for the original one yeah. so he knew how to you know put his um you know signature into it but still really make it not anything like the original one i mean it's inspired work like, I for sure feel like this wasn't just a, a cash grab, you know? This wasn't, uh, like, I know that Universal, when they were trying to figure out how to remake this movie, it went through sev several directors. I didn't actually get the names of who, but that eventually John Carpenter's love for the project itself. It's kind of like, this is a weird comparison, but like Denis Villeneuve with Dune, like, mm -hmm. no, I'm going to do this. Like, trust me, I care about this more than anybody else who you could hire to do this. It's a good comparison. So... I just think that's why it shines through so much and why John Carpenter... This is probably why his names are in the movies because there's so much of him. him. Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting because I was reading that he kind of tossed around the idea about doing it and becoming the director a little bit. And then when he was like looking at the material and he came across like the blood testing scene, he was like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to fucking do this. And that was his final, like, yeah, I know I'm doing I this. I think it's very cool that John Carpenter isn't this guy who brings, he like, for the most part, it doesn't seem like he brings the ideas to the table. It's like, there's this idea, and then it's like, if we just had the perfect weirdo to make this, and they're like, I got you. Like, the guy that could do so much, you know, they, um, I, I do think, because I'd done, obviously, some research for this, that the original story comes from an author in 1938, John Campbell Jr., who had a, had a, like a pen name under Don A. Stewart. And the, the original story is Who Goes There? And then that story inspired the original movie that's called The Thing from Another World. And I guess John Carpenter said that he knew from the get-go he really liked that movie as a kid, and he said it really changed how he saw movies. But he said that it always bugged him that all the movies had a man in a suit. The, the entities the aliens always ended up being a man in the suit he's like listen he's like alien as good as it is and i really like it he's like at the end there's a man in a suit mm -hmm. he's like, so it always bugged me he's like that the most indescribable thing would be something we can't describe with words that wouldn't be an entity that we would recognize and i thought that was the approach that i wanted to take for this and i think that's why it works so well mm -hmm. i i and it's funny because we kind of talked about this starting um this movie didn't get much love when it did come out and it, it yeah. literally became a cult classic before now it's revered as a great Honestly, horror why film. would it, though? Really? Like, yeah. if you think about the time. Well, Summer of E.T. is, like, everybody's so used to these, you know, man in a suit, happy E.T., like, everything like that. And then you have John Carpenter who's like, no, this is a soulless being that's going to 
take you over and it looks like spaghetti. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just so out of pocket for probably those times. Like, people just probably had never seen anything like that. And it's probably just too hard to digest. Like, <laughs> You know, I don't want this to, to devolve into an argument from a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> but when we were talking about how Ro said he liked sci-fi more than horror mm -hmm. for the most part. And then, you know, he un he unceremoniously shit on Shudder. <laughs> <laughs> right? What did they do to you? Honestly, though, it's like... You could even take it from John Carpenter. It's like, if you go back, I would say there's more great horror in the beginning of horror than there is sci-fi. That, like, sci-fi couldn't get good until a certain point. And I, maybe that point is the 60s. And then, like, you know, Stanley Kubrick really taking it up mm -hmm. that level with 2001. But it's like, seriously, you're going to tell me, like, The Blob and... <laughs> I'm thinking The Blob. A, a planet, uh, invaders from Planet X. Be like, yeah, that's better than 19... Like, older horror movies, yeah. you know? But I just thought that was funny because it's like, yeah, when you look at sci-fi for the most part, like, up until the 60s, it's a joke of a genre, which... I'm glad it's not anymore because, yeah, it is in my top two, mm -hmm. but I just thought that was so funny because then when you really go back and look at it, you're like, there's so much bull crap that's just as bad as, like, the old horror as well. So it's like, they're kind of neck and neck, really. Yeah, it's almost like they're, like, reverse times, like... I don't know. Sometimes you know sci-fi I mean? is really bad, and then yeah. sometimes horror is really bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I just thought that was so funny because it's like, yeah, a bunch of guys in a suit, and you're going to tell me that's better <laughs> than, you know, whatever, insert here. <laughs> I just said there was less of them, so there's not, it can't be. But I are, they are neck and neck, though, because there is less of them. I just think it. I like it more. I think it's a better genre. Anyways, I just thought that was a funny, <laughs> yeah, a funny cool. thing to bring up. Like, because when you even think about it, like, even up to, like, what, Flash Gordon, like, sci-fi is pretty much a joke. Yeah. Or it's like it's not it's not even B movie it's like C movie, Pulp Fiction novel like crap basically yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and horror has always had these elevated roots even from the beginning. Like th some of the stuff we wouldn't even think is that scary is because it's more about like the psyche. I feel like and that they didn't even have the capability of showing that off at the time. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I just it's a it's a never ending conversation. There's no right answer, but. I did. I never. I felt like I never even had a rebuttal the first time he said it because I was in such awe <laughs> of the disrespect <laughs> to the horror genre. <laughs> but we can move on from that. I just had to have that sidebar. Right. I, 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 I will say though, in in terms of you did bring up like Planet X or whatever from that is better than Nosferatu. See, I don't even know if that's true. Like I I I don't even like Nosferatu though. So like that for me, that's I can't. I'm not going to defend Nosferatu against that. But I know, but you picked the low common denominator sci-fi movie to be like, yeah, oh, this I sucks. I think Nosferatu is bad. That's not what the majority of people think. I know, I know we don't take into account of that most of the time, but go ask an old movie person. I, there's no way they're going to pick Plan Invader from Planet X over Nosferatu. But there think. is those sci-fi movies that are old that are like, two people do argue that are good. I don't think they're good either, but people do argue just as Nosferatu that this they are. This is how you know we're too deep into potting. We're both arguing about something we don't actually agree Shut with. Shut up and talk about the things. All right, all right, all right. Fine. I guess we'll talk about the movie at hand. All right, fine. All but right. honestly, the, the thing elevates both things that we're like, no, it really about does. Both the genres. No, like, I mean, yeah, especially it, it at the time. It has great sci-fi aspects to it. And it has incredible horror aspects to it, and it's a perfect blend of both. I think so. It, it could have been neither bracket, but for me, it leans more towards the horror. I do think so. Yeah. No, I think so too. It could have made either bracket though easily, which is, I mean, not too many movies can. Yeah. Um, where do you guys want to go from here? 
you want to start talking about the movie or do you want to talk about like the characters, talk the, the themes? Bit, let's talk about a little bit about the cast and the themes or something. Okay, well, Kurt Russell's maybe the coolest person who's ever lived. Dude, yeah. I think he's got like magnificent screen presence. When, like, okay. There's certain, sorry, hold on. There's certain shots of him that are framed so well where it's like, this guy just fucking looks like a movie star. Oh, he's sick. Yeah. yeah. That's like when we were talking about it, like when we decided that we we're going to do the thing and it came up. I don't remember who said it, but apparently a lot of people don't like Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Like, yeah. I thought that everybody loved him. Like, oh, I yeah. Ro brought that up that some people don't yeah. like him. I'm like, how? Like, he's phenomenal. That makes me horse laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the same way that just people think he's he's just one noted, too. And I mean, he is always kind of a little bit like Kurt Russell and all of his movies. That's why I like it. Being Being fucking, yeah, Yeah. being awesome, you know. But that's why, like, some people just don't, that's not enough for them. For me, it is. From him, it is. From him, it is. I know there's some other people that maybe I wouldn't like it. Like, I'll take that down for them. Like, all you are is look cool. But for me, for him, it works. I just think, like you said, when he's on screen, that's a movie star to me. Look at his hair. Like, the man's hair. Like, in in (laughs) Guardians 2, he's in the movie. I'm going to go watch it. You know what I mean? So, I still feel that way about it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why. He's what always just had Disney Channel original movies when he's a little kid. Like in my head, when you'd be like well, talking about those, okay? yeah. <laughs> like when you talk Walt about actor, favorite actor, <laughs> you talk about actors, like yeah, he just has the face. And he's been around forever. Like he yeah, really has been. been around since he was a kid. Like on the Disneyland, like opening day specials and stuff like that, like that they would do for rides. He's in the Haunted Mansion when, like, as the first kid to ever go on the wow. Haunted Mansion. Like that's crazy. he's <laughs> been in the pipeline since he was a little kid. Like I'm not kidding. Walt Disney really fucking loved this kid. Kurt Russell's an Indian. <laughs> oh he's damn. Oh. He's an industry That's player. Okay, maybe I don't like him. <laughs> yeah, right, right. What? You <laughs> know what? You changed my mind. Maybe. Come on. <laughs> That's so funny. But some some other characters we got, what? We got Keith David as child. And he's cool, cool as fuck. Yep, Another cool mother. They're both like the two cool motherfuckers. Spawn. That's, that dude's got a butt head. That dude's got a voice of, like, I wouldn't even say an angel. It's like a demon. Yeah, you know no, what Spawn. I mean? <laughs> yeah. He really is, like, a movie star as well. Like, he's got yeah. the look and the voice of... Like he's captivating to be on, like he's, when he's on screen. He's been in a lot of good, um, I would call cult classics. He's been in a lot. That's mm-hmm. why in like a lot he's like a working he, actor. And he has like in a he's in Wrecking for a Dream too, where he has a really interesting. But I always his voice always really is like countless sinister. cartoons as well. Yeah. Like, he was the main gargoyle. I forget what the main gargoyle's name, but in gargoyles. That's why his voice is, like, yeah. Right? And then, like, even... He's even, he's done everything, too. Like, he's been in The Princess and the Frog. He put the voodoo witch doctor. Mm-hmm. And even that, like, that movie is a kid's movie, so it's not that scary. But he adds a menacing, ominous tone to his character that might not be there if it was somebody else. He was, yeah. I just think he's so good. Favorite yes. HBO's Spawn from a long time ago. And he... Are you talking about the cartoon rec- Yeah, the cartoon. Oh, okay. And he recently... Redid that voice for the Mortal Kombat um, oh, that's cool. Spawn. Yeah, so his voice has always been around, and I do like it a lot. He's I cool. wanted to, in ca- cast-wise, I wanted to talk about, I don't, let me make sure I don't get this wrong. It's uh, Wilfred Brimley, right, as Blair? Blair, yeah. Right? So I think it's interesting because Kurt Russell is the main character of this movie, right? And I think the reason that he works as the main character is because he's the most paranoid of mm-hmm. the whole bunch, right? Like, he doesn't trust anybody the entire time. And... Another reason I think it's like Lovecraftian is because of Blair. Like, like, um, McCready is the prototypical hero, right? Mm-hmm. But Blair is like a Lovecraft protagonist where he's the one losing his mind, slipping deep into madness. He's already overtaken by the thing, like the Eldritch abominations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's in a Lovecraft movie, and uh, McCready is in a, you know 
any action alien movie, you know, but he's, he's taking the lead. So I think that those are the two co-leads and that they're giving you two different sides of the movie. And I, like I think that. that's why it works. So like in well. the lighthouse. Yeah. Kind of where it's like, they're both slipping into madness, but in two different ways. Yeah. I see. I, yeah. It's giving I me heavy lighthouse vibes. Yeah. A movie that was like 50 years after. <laughs> but technically, the lighthouse happened first in the canon of the story. True. <laughs> <laughs> the wikis That's were first. Yeah. No, well, the alien is 100,000 years old. <laughs> I'm a goddamn lighthouse keeper. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, but um, we were the, the, cast. the cast, yeah, there's also. The only other thing I recognize him from is in Blood In, Blood Out, which is the guy who's really um, close with the dogs. Oh, Clark? Clark. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he's sketchy from the beginning, right? Because he's he the first one. Off. His yeah. character his character is the the MacGuffin. You he, think his attitude in the movie is as if he was uh, possessed yeah. by the thing, like within two seconds. You think he is, And he's too. just pretending that he's not. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to stay quiet and look around. And it's like... It's almost because later on we see that like sometimes they lose the ability to talk because they have like the alien voice, I guess you would call it. But he gives off that like attitude that he couldn't talk anymore, even because he's very quiet. You yeah. Know what I mean, and he's very subtle with what he says. It's like a few words. He says a lot in a few words, really. That's what I like that he was the red herring is that everybody just thought that, oh, this. that's that's the one that has it. Or yep. and even he when he was talking about the role, how he he he. First went to the thing. He's like, I can't remember what role I actually first auditioned for. He's like, but then when I read the roles, I was like, what about this guy? Like, I really like this guy. And John was like, well, why? So, well, because he seems recluse. And he, from the get-go already, just wants to vibe with the dogs. So it seems like he's on a different page than them. And obviously, in a whodunit, you're not going to trust the guy who already doesn't trust people. Exactly. But what's, but what's, it's kind of just falls as a red herring for the whole movie because... He's not it. So that's, he's, that's what, yeah, this movie does so well. Is it just, like, even rewatching it, like, I think it's always fun to try to trace, like, okay, well, when did this happen? Like, how did this happen? Like, you know what I mean? Just following the characters around. I noticed that the cast at no point in the movie is ever completely in the same room. No, they're not. And that's what makes it so difficult. And it's part of the, it's part of the, like, I think the theme of the movie, like, which we'll definitely get into mm-hmm. later, because I think this movie is saying a lot of different things, mm-hmm. right? And it's kind of like, you like, a, a character beat that I like, is um, Palmer and Nalls are watching like uh, reruns of game shows and they're smoking that big fat joint, (laughs) right? And there's no mistrust at this point in the movie yet, but, you know, later on, it's like if you were hanging out and two of your friends are in the other room and you're like, you know, just being like a jealous dude, you're kind of like, why the fuck are they hanging out in there? Not like, why wasn't I invited? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I think that's where later on like or that's that's a seed that's planted for later on in the movie the fact that no one is ever all together and even mccready like i think one of the reasons he's so isolated is because he has his own shack too yeah and like he kind of is separated from the rest of them he doesn't really feel like a scientist more than he feels like he's just there because he's the transportation yeah he seems more like uh, yeah like the muscle like he flies a helicopter maybe he's a mechanic like he he does feel separate than the rest of the people i will say that i i did learn from john carpenter talking about like the roles for the film in the beginning he did write all of them to be equal and he didn't want McCready to kind of stand out. But what happened was that they were having issues with wardrobe and like all of them were wearing each other's stuff because they were so similar that he was like, one of them has to stand out in terms so of like. Sam hat. So <laughs> then, yeah, like it, it just uh, naturally. And it, they were actually having a really hard time finding the casting for it. And um, they were already friends because they had done Escape from New York. 
And he says, as a friend, he kept consulting him on, oh, you should go ask this person and this person. And at the end, he was like, what about you? And like, you do it. And then he's like, so I, I thoroughly read the script. And he was like, oh, I really like this. And he's like, so I hopped into it. And he's like, and I'm really glad that I did. Yeah. That's and good. so am I. Because I, I don't know who else could have obviously. Yeah, could have been someone else. Escape but. from New York into the thing is a nice, as a nice two movie run of just totally selling the Kurt Russell image of like who I am going forward. You know, because I know that, like I said, he's been around mm-hmm. basically his whole life, so he's had many different phases. But I think this is him in that action hero, badass phase. Because after this, he's in a lot of movies that aren't as good, like Universal Soldier, which yeah. is it's a Blade Runner spinoff. Yeah. Um, I think he does regroup with him for Big Trouble in Little China and Little After, right? Yeah, that's probably a couple of years down And that's the, line. the only one that I think stands out from that time that you're talking about with these two. And then he does like kind of like whatever stinkers in the middle. I mean, I'd have to really look at his entire filmography, but I do think that this is probably his best actor-director combo of his career. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Uh, not James Gunn, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, where, should we, do we need to start talking about this movie? I mean, we were yep. on the cast. I feel like we need to bring up that this cast is very well-rounded, too. Everybody kind of has their moment. Um, and since we're here, we might as well talk about the writer, which is Bill Lancaster. Um, although John Carpenter is an auteur, he didn't, you know, write and direct every single one of his movies. And I think this may be a stronger movie because it is more of a, can, like a team effort all the way around. Mm-hmm. It's not just one guy's. Yeah. He didn't have to write. Vision. He didn't have to do the music. Like he was just able to sit back and direct. I feel like so. And I feel like Bill Lancaster did a, a great job of giving people like enough to do in limited screen time, because there's no way you could really balance this movie out. So Everyone has to have their moment, and I think they truly get it. Yeah, and I think they execute that really well by, like, what you were saying is that in each scene, like, not everybody's present. Like, you don't always have, like, except for maybe, like, one or two scenes, you don't have this group of, like, eight or nine guys that everybody's trying to fight to to maybe, you know, shine. Like, you do get, like, a lot of scenes with, like, two people, and then you get you know, a smaller actor gets his chance to shine, and, like, so forth and so forth, you know what I mean? I do like that this movie... From the get-go, the first scene, and, and I wanted to bring this up actually when you said you watched it as a kid in terms of feeling like it's an epic. I feel like from the first scene, you're already in the shits. It never for a second stops, which is some movies try to do that, but you're so lost. Like, okay, wait, wait, you didn't yeah. explain anything. But this movie keeps like the gas is on from the beginning, and then it takes those small little pauses to give you like humanity between the characters. And then you start to question, like, you know, you start to see, oh, this guy doesn't really interact with the humans or this guy kind of feels a little fishy like when they ask he's like oh you should take over he's like i don't feel up to it it almost at the point after rewatches you're like did he already know that he was infected you know and stuff like that and i think the the movie that's why it feels like an epic there it, it's so the gas is on from literally as soon as it starts this movie reminds me of like a kaleidoscope where it's like you turn it and it's never exactly the same every time you watch it you're kind of like well ah damn, that makes me think that he knew earlier. Or yeah. how is McCready not it, but is he? And, like, why was this Why was this put there? Is it just to make me think that? Like, what am I thinking as, like, w- what I'm seeing as an audience and what's actually happening in the movie kind of feel like two different things at certain points. Because, like, the red herring, the whole thing for me, why, why it's really interesting is that the dog goes up to that character first, and he really resonates with the character that doesn't talk to the rest of them but it's like why didn't the alien take any time it was because he didn't get him alone or it's like but there's other sequences that it just feels like he just needs to touch the person to become 
that person. So it kind of it always bears the question to me: Why did it choose who it chose? And it's, yeah. is there deeper meanings to who it chose? No, it's true. It's interesting. Like th- this movie basically turns into like a giant game of like Clue that is yeah. constantly evolving and changing. And I think that's what makes it really interesting. But like what you're saying, like it's something that John Carpenter does where he leaves some breadcrumbs, but they don't lead to any specific place really. You know what I mean? So you see all this stuff, but you're not really sure what it really means until you see the outcome, you know? Correct. And I think that basically starts with with one of my favorite scenes. It's at the beginning. It's when the dog first like enters the the, the camp, the base. And it's walking down one of the hallways, and the camera ends up, like, backtracking and, like, follows the dog. And the dog ends up going to, like, a room, right? And you see... The shadow? The shadow. And it's just like, okay, so maybe the dog is... You think that the dog's going to get this. But John Carpenter is, like, he's so paranoid about people, you know, thinking or figuring stuff out that he didn't even use one of the actors to create that shadow. He just used somebody else on the set to do that. To like, <laughs> so like you can't figure it out. Yeah, it's none of the deeper movie it level. Is, like it's know? for the audience. Yeah, it's like not he, part of the story. He really is like putting that out there. Like you're something's gonna happen, but you're not gonna know who it is until like the reveal. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, I think it works really fucking well. Uh, synopsis time. Do you think it's time to talk about? The plot of the movie, if you've never seen it. Yeah, I mean... So we're about 30 minutes in, and we've just been pretty generally talking about the movie, but if no one has ever seen this movie, how would you explain the okay. plot? Okay, Because so, I feel like you do this the best out of okay. the three of us. Um, the plot of the thing, if you've never seen it, it's basically... So you have a group of U.S. scientists that are in this base. They, they Who knows what they're doing? I Antarctica. Honestly, Antarctica. Yeah. I really don't remember what they're doing. But they're, they're scientists, right? And everything's going normal. And all of a sudden, there you see basically a helicopter comes in, and they're chasing a dog, okay? And you're like, okay, well, what, what's happening? Why are these people chasing this dog? What's going on? These people, they're Norwegian, whatever. Some stuff happens to them. And basically, you have this dog, which is this ancient alien that can take the form of any person. And it basically runs through their camp, and pe- you have to figure out who is the alien, what is the alien, what do we need to do. It's basically, that's the movie. And then it becomes a whodunit. Yeah. because Mystery. Exactly. Because this uh, is an alien that can take the form of any living thing. Because for the longest time, so. they don't really understand why the dog is being chased by the helicopter. And, I mean, even the Nords come out of the, the helicopter and start shooting at They're them. They're dropping grenades out of the helicopter to try to blow the I forget dog which up. one, but one of the characters from our camp gets shot within the yes. first like, five minutes of the yeah. movie. He takes, he takes a slug in the leg. <laughs> and it's, he ends up saying later, he's like, I, just, I got shot today. Can you put the music down? <laughs> hey. um, so, for, I mean, that's basically the entire plot of yeah, the that movie. really is. because from there it becomes an exercise in like pressure cooking mm-hmm. and i think just like in halloween i feel like john carpenter comes into each movie with a goal of what he's trying to achieve and i think in this one it's to have the ultimate pressure cooker of a situation of intensity of tension of drama of betrayal of you know all of these really deep emotions that people feel but like ten guys are going through it at once, and it's also you throw in that you're at your it's survival mode too. Yeah, you're you're in a desolate, literally um, continent that nobody resides like this in. Movie, For real. This movie might as well take place on Mars. You know yes. what I mean? Like it's there's nothing. You're, you're so. And I, I did really the like bottom the, of the ocean. The, yeah. I yeah. do really or like on. <laughs> I, I did really like the touches of them. 
um, I guess emphasizing on that pretty soon that they've been trying to reach people for weeks and he keeps like, it's a joke. Like we're not going to reach anybody. Like it's not, it's taking way too long. Who is listening? And, and I just think that really just ends up adding to, you know, nobody's going to come for them. And he just says that rescue will come in the spring. So if it's like, okay, well, just this is going to end at the beginning of the movie. One of the dudes is like, this is the first week of winter. So that's a oh, long, so it just time. started, you know it's a what I long mean? ass time. Yeah. I mean, this this is why I just think the movie's masterclass in terms of setting up like the ambiance and it just yeah I I you get so many themes of like human emotions because they're put in this pressure cooker situation and it's also when they later get exposed to it and they see what they're they're up against they're also like well how would you react you know like to see something <laughs> what like like what are we do? like what are we seeing you know and I think the actual entity of the thing like how it was made and stuff like that it was just done so well so i'm sure it was just from the stuff that i've heard it was just fun to be around it too and just kind of because like um not if you were uh what's his name rob Britton. yeah it was a pain in the ass (laughs) but i mean i will say that i did learn from some of the interviews that this was the most time john carpenter had to pre-produce any of the movies that he's had up until date and which is why he said it came out so well he had like they went to go scout and everything they had a year to like before he's like okay i have to start like getting all the everybody down for everything but he just said that once they had the cast together that they really worked on the psychological effects of being just with you like these 10 people and how you would react like he said that they brought all the actors up and naturally the actors felt like they took the movie from John Carpenter because it's like, well, you put 10 of us in a desolate place. Like naturally he's like, people are going to find who their best friend is and who not that they don't like, but they're like, we kind of don't get along with that guy. And then that chemistry starts to kind of show in the, in the script. But John Carpenter is so open to that creativity. Then he starts shape shifting the script to that. Be like, Oh, McCready's getting, not getting along with childs. Maybe they should not get along in the actual story. And I think because those things are hashed out, out before the movie even starts to be shot is why we get such like it's believable like you said it uh, really feels like 10 people before we really get into like the nitty-gritty of the movie i think the childs and uh mccready like dynamic they're like the two alphas of yeah. this station 100%. right so it's almost just like in real life it's inevitable that these two alphas are gonna end up going at they're each other heads, yeah. and they're gonna be sides and there's gonna be distrust but I'm not ready to talk about all that stuff yet because I think at this point we need to talk about the alien effects and the, the thing itself and all that before we go the too far. Practical effects in this movie. Can you give me the guy's name? Rob Botton. Rob Botton. I said Britain, right? So I saw that he was 21 years old at yeah. the time that he God was hired to make damn. this and that he lived on the Universal backlot for an entire year. This movie almost killed this guy. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> the same insane. way that you're talking about the lady that John, John Carpenter just ends up getting this like creative gas from people and it's because he is very open to yeah like he's 22 and he kind of talked about it in an interview where it's like he just couldn't believe that he was given that opportunity by john and and um there's just some stuff that's even seemed undoable impossible impossible to him but john carpenter supported him so he's 21 at the time this is the biggest thing he's ever done he has 35 people under his crew of prosthetics and makeup and effects and all of that and uh, he almost has like a near death experience while making this movie, like because he got so sick from the, like the, like the pressure st- the of stress it. and all that. Yeah, and the stress. So he also brings in Stan Winston, who is a, 
iconic uh, effects and makeup guy. And he ends up creating or taking a big part in creating the uh, the first one, the dog thing. Okay, right, gnarly. And this was like, this was hardcore like set building and stuff like that. So. If you've seen the movie, you know that the dog is in the kennel with the other dogs, and it's one of like the grossest body Dude, horror yeah. freakouts you'll probably ever see. Uh, if you're if you were if you're young and you're listening to this, you probably shouldn't be listening to this. Like, I would not recommend a, a young young kid seeing this, like five seven years old. Like, you probably should wait till you're at That's least where 10. I would, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And look at you, you're sitting here doing a podcast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Men would rather have a podcast than go to therapy and talk about seeing the thing too early. <laughs> That's so funny. Just do both. Um, but, like, the set that they built for this, they had to do it on a raised set with, like, uh, puppeteers under. And, like, I don't I don't know if people really understand how much work goes into, like, puppetry. Like, because these things are basically animatronics more than a, a hand puppet. Yeah. And this thing's gnarly, It's dude. huge, too. It's massive. Yeah. And I also saw that Stan Winston... He insisted that he was not credited for the work on this movie, that he wanted it to be Rob Botton's. That's cool. Like, no, you. this is you. Your like, movie. I just helped you yeah, yeah. That's doing really cool. this. But, yeah, there's – and this is really where, like, the, the H.P. Lovecraft stuff comes in of, like, okay, how do you describe that, really? And even if I was to tell you every single individual aspect of the beast – could you put that together in no, your head? No, that's what I'm like, you what? It's a, it's a blob made up of, like, nine different dogs with tentacles and ooze, and, like, that doesn't even make it what it really is. You so know what a, I mean? a lot of it is inhuman, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Botten and Winston wanted to give the idea, and John Carpenter, obviously, this idea that we need to show you stuff that wouldn't come from, uh, like, our universe. So, yes, it's a dog, and, yes, it's got some human qualities to it, but, like, the red licorice ropes yeah, that come out of no. it or like the stomachs that turn into mouths that yeah. heads come out of that's all like alien alien life forms from the other galaxies and universes that the thing has already been to encountered yeah encountered so when i think about it like that i'm like bruh that's Earth, early. barbecue chicken like compared to the things <laughs> that probably <laughs> yeah, overtook exactly. on other planets there was one scene that the, that scene actually when the dog ends up um when it wants to escape and it can't find a way out and then it ends up like taking out like this flower looking thing yeah i ended up saying that or reading that that's actually like they're all dog tongues and it's a bunch of dog teeth so it's like a beast that it went came across that had like 10 tongues and ten, like you know it's like that's a crazy. dog with 10 tongues and um yeah, like I, I have the little book with me that has a bunch of his the original storyboards and the drawings that Rob Botton did. And I was sharing with Nate that in the in the interviews they were talking about the John Car he showed John Carpenter all this stuff and he was like He said and, some of it was too weird. And he just told him, like, Do you know how to do any of this stuff? And he was like, No, but I'll figure it out. And then he just like, you know, John Carpenter for a long time doubted that it would really happen, that any of this was gonna actually work. But then he said that once he saw that he had pulled it off that he knew that like this is the movie like it's it's gonna go where i wanted to and then that's kind of gus touched upon that like uh rob botten knew that he wanted to do something that wouldn't be explainable by words something that we wouldn't be able to understand and that's why he knew it was gonna have to be something that would have every features of animals of something that wouldn't make sense and yeah there's there's i have so many notes on him like the epic scene that he did that I know everybody really likes is like when it comes out of his chest and like that making that was one of the hardest things about all these effects because I I don't think we're going to go through the whole movie like shot for shot. So it could get forgotten if you just don't bring it up. But he, do you want to talk about the chest biter? Yeah. So he said this was, this was the hardest 
seen to shoot in his life, and he says that if he had to do it again, he's thoroughly scared that he would never be able to do it again. They got a double amputee. Yeah. Oh, they really? casted a double amputee. So wow. that was yeah. exactly. So they were like, the they put like the fake that. arms in it and then like played it in reverse and or Damn. something along those lines. But got you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That one, I, I don't think that's my favorite thing. I honestly like the Blair thing at the end the most. Like yeah. that's obviously the most iconic. It's like the Queen Xenomorph and aliens. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I saw that that puppet took 50 people to, That's to like, that thing's man huge. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, my favorite, especially, my favorite scene, which also ties into my favorite um, practical effects, is, is the blood testing scene. That and is cool. That I just, I think that scene is so good at creating all the tension because you just have no idea who's going to pop positive. You know what I mean? And then when... Uh, COVID. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But then uh, when you see, you know, that Palmer finally does turn and that thing that he turns into is horrific to me. And then he bites uh, what windows his head and starts throwing them all around the room. And I just I don't know. That scene always sticks with me. And then he walks away on fire with ah, it's so good, dude. Like, I don't know. That shit always sticks with me. And the thing is, I mean, what we learned is that it's truly unkillable. Like even the fire, it slows Mm -hmm. it down. But you can never truly stop well, this. Yeah, from because even if they have, if there's one cell left, that's all it takes for it to, you know, take somebody something but, over. Yeah. So it's a lot, dude. So in preparation for this, okay, well, in our timeline right now, I don't know what time you're watching this or what day you're listening to this, but we have seen men recently, mm-hmm. right? So then I watched Annihilation in preparation preparation of that right and i don't mean to be the film dude who's only seen annihilation and now i'm seeing the comparisons everywhere but i think annihilation and the thing are very similar movies like i honestly think that the thing is the masculine and that annihilation is the feminine side of the same exact almost like almost completely the whole movie pretty much yeah like you have this group of males and you have this group of females they're in this unknown place that there that no one really knows about and it's like you have this alien entity that is absorbing and assimilating and spreading and taking over and honestly the end of annihilation is is what they predict the end of the thing will be that this thing is eventually going to take over the whole country and Mm -hmm. then the whole world so i can't help but see the comparisons and i feel like because the thing is like the man side of it that it's so much more aggressive and distrusting and full of like paranoid rage that you don't get on. And like the yin and yang of it is that annihilation is a lot more accepting mm-hmm. of the situation and it's a lot more calm and peaceful and beautiful. And then like, even to the end of the thing, it's like windows like, I'm not the fucking thing. Stop saying <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly, you know what yeah. I mean? And in annihilation, they completely accept the idea that we are changed because we've already walked through the yeah. threshold. There's nothing we can do now. And I, I just fucking love both yeah. of these movies so much. Like, they just feel like a yin and yang. Like, it's a gr- it'd probably be a, a fantastic sci-fi double feature. That would be phenomenal, actually. But I'm, no, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, the thing really is, like, obviously we've talked about it. You know, it's, it's an alien, it's this, it's that. But at the end of the day, like, it's about distrust in people that you know. And, like, when you're put in these stressful situations about how people change. I when... don't think it's about AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. I think, we're, I think we all can take the stand and say that. We don't think that's what it's about, man. I mean, the story is that I think he did say, he did say he could be if he wanted it to be about yeah, AIDS. Yeah, but he yeah. said that about everything. He was no, he like, said oh, it could McCready, be. Like, it could be this. It could be that. It's very, it's, a, it's meant to be open. It could be COVID. 
You know what I mean? In 20 years, people are going to be like, yo, that was a good COVID movie. People, <laughs> exactly. people did say that. Or they, they kept using yeah. the little bits from it during the pandemic yeah. from the thing, be like how people feel right now. You know the video of the, uh, it's like, it was right when COVID had started, and it's the video of all the dudes, and they're standing outside. And he's like, stop touching people with your hands. Yeah. yeah. Like, that is the thing. Yeah. That is masculinity and how it would be like how you would deal with this issue of like the distrust and paranoia. I mean, you have people like, like what, uh, what was his name? The dude that did with the dogs, uh, Clark, Clark, he's the dog man. Right. Cause <laughs> even like, like, you know, like we talked about, there's this huge distrust towards him because he's already kind of an outsider, spent a lot of time with the dog and he ends up pulling a knife on McCready and tries to kill him. And then we turn, come to find out him and McCready are both not infected. So you see how this, this whole situation really plays into to like what we're talking That's about. Child tells him he's like, so you're just a murderer. Yeah, so you're just a murderer. He killed oh, two well, people. Like, well, he did pull a knife on me. Like, what are you <laughs> supposed to do? But at the same time, like, yeah. But that's another one of the things that I what I love about this movie compared to like a lot of other horror movies, is that in this movie, like, I guess you can call them the victims, but the people, like, they're smart. They're not stupid. Like, they, they go about this very logically, and they try to break down and understand what this is, and they do find out what it is, and they find out how to kill it, and they come up with ways that they can figure out who's who, but at the end of the day, like, they're just too fucking out. It doesn't matter. Like, it th- doesn't take the Prometheus route of, hey there, little guy. Exactly. Like, like scientists doing like, the dumbest yeah, thing like, you've ever oh, seen. Oh, I heard something upstairs. I'm going to go check it, check out what it is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it doesn't play into those super uh, universal, like, scary movie tropes like yeah. I, I just really like that about this movie that's true and it really doesn't matter that you're smart and you do do everything that you can do you're still fucked he did say that um that's the lovecraft shit it he could have he's like obviously i could have like hired a woman to be out of the 10 people like it's not out of the realm that a woman would be in that he's like but i wanted to be male nightmare infused he's like and at the time there wasn't many movies with just all guys he's like so at the time i felt like let's do an uh movie with all men and i thought that the essence that that would bring with it would be very well, like what you said in a, in a in a lesser movie mccready would be the final girl you know yeah. what i mean and I, that trope had already been established by this it, time yeah so he's already trying to subvert the genre by making it all i mean yeah it's like alien had been made uh f- five years before you know and it is pr- it is really similar and we already had ridley there so to kind of give us the same kind of character the same honestly way. mccready's like the male Ridley, Ridley. <laughs> yeah. Kinda. yeah, I would say Ridley's a little, maybe a little smarter, but you know, I, I see the comparison directly. Definitely. Um, where do you want to go from here? We do you guys want to just talk about or go ahead? Because, well, I, I did want to say that maybe we could bring up, um, I have a bunch of notes on like where it was shot, and I know you have notes on like the snow and stuff like that. On the that. look of the movie, yeah, so go like, ahead. you can start with that because I know. We actually have we have the movie on with us again, so we're actually looking at it while we're talking about it. So, go ahead. So it was shot in uh, Stewart, British Columbia, on top of a glacier, which um, is insane. Yeah, and what ended up happening is a very unique location. They picked this spot because this is one of the highest snowfall locations that is easily accessible. It was in that British Columbia during the gold rush, people made a village up there. So there's a a dirt road to get up to where they were recording. And there's a village there, hotels and stuff like that. They used to have like a lot of people. Now there wasn't. So the whole cast of the movie took on the, the whole like city and everything. And, um, so they were really up here and all of the, what we're seeing, it's all real, real, uh, a real setting. And then I did find it really interesting that they got a pretty legendary, uh, matte painter called Albert Whitlock. Mm -hmm. He worked with um, Alfred Hitchcock. Like, that's how old he was at this point. And he, uh, (laughs) like, he's a, 
you know, old Hollywood used to do those matte paintings a lot instead they're of fantastic. like, yeah, they're yeah. They, it, when and he's like legendary, like one of the best ones at it. And they got him for obviously like where they have the the scenes where the spaceship is on the, and um, he was up there with them, and a lot of the time he said that, like he would be up there and they would have to like, there was this specific story where they said he was waiting for a specific light to be able to paint it that way so that it matched perfectly with the scene and that the helicopter kept running and running with gas and that at the last second he was like we need to go now and as they're going up there he's like i think i'm gonna run out of gas like the guy who was driving the helicopter he's like well, what'll happen if we run out of gas he's like well, well i'm gonna have we're gonna have to sleep the night here and like i don't know how many of us will survive being in this cold <laughs> and then yeah. they literally barely made it you know and then they're just kind of talking about like they they all really put their life on the line or being out there really made them have this dynamic and relationship with each other that is i think what gets shown in the movie and they Everybody that was working on this movie really had a lot of fun having John Carpenter as, like, their director, though, because he's so open to letting them do stuff like that, like letting you wait till the last second to draw that lighting that you need, you know? And that's a lot of the stuff that, like, uh, it being shot on top of a glacier, I thought was just, you know, really cool because it's just, that's the best part of the movie, I think, where it's shot, it's just so desolate. So that leads into... What I was looking into about the look of the movie. So we ha- we have the movie on and it's the opening sequence. And I think that this is just so like gorgeous. You know what I mean? Like it really has these beautiful snowy landscapes and vistas that can only be captured like this on film. Right. Yeah. This is another reason why film is fucking badass. But um, the movie itself is shot by Dean Cundy. Right. Mm-hmm. Legendary. And uh he also worked in collaboration with uh, Rob Botton on getting the look right of the movie. So as an homage, they thought about making the movie black and white like the original, mm-hmm. which I'm so glad I'm they happy did happy they did not. Um, Universal was hesitant on that. They were like, well, the first movie is not, is not considered this. It's more of a cult classic than it is like great cinema, right? So I don't know if we really want to try this again and make the same mistakes or whatever. But... You, uh, they decided to add like a, a lot of blue tint to the movie and then a lot of matte, like matte and neutral colors. So like if you notice, a lot of the guys are wearing like gray and mm. brown and stuff like that. And then to achieve that like cold look that the movie has, it's the muted blue that they use throughout the entire movie to just like John Carpenter felt like that white doesn't convey the cold as well as blue, blue does. does. Yeah, for some reason. It's really true like, though. Coors Light cans no, when yeah. they turn blue. <laughs> when the mountains turn it, blue. No, it's, it's true. I did find it interesting uh, doing the research because we talked about this with the exorcism too. Like when they have, they're in those rooms and they're like, you can see them talking. So you're obviously in a pretty cold room. So they said that they figured out that actually it doesn't really take, the rooms don't have to be too cold for you to actually get that effect. It's actually about bumping up the humidity in a colder room. Mm -hmm. As long as it's more humid, you actually get that effect. But what I thought was funny is they did shoot some of this and obviously in British Columbia, but, Obviously, some stuff is shot on set, and they were shooting in the hottest summer of L.A. at the mm-hmm. time. And so they said they kept getting sick because they would walk into, like, that cold type of, like, human atmosphere. And they would walk out, and it was, like, 100 and something. Yeah. And then they would have all of that clothes on. And so at one point when they would go to lunch, it was so hard to get that makeup off that they would just go to the Universal lot wearing all that stuff. So, the, like, the, uh, the guy who ends up getting shot in the head... He said he would go get like his lunch with like just all the prosthetic bullet wound <laughs> on his head. He's like, and he would tell the lady, he's like, just sit me in the corner in the back, so, so nobody funny. has to really question what's going on here. Yeah, I did read a little bit about that. They were saying the sound stages were like forty degrees, and outside it was like a hundred plus. Correct. Like, damn, yeah, that's crazy. 
I mean, and yeah, they said people were getting sick all the time, which I mean, I would imagine so. But th- I mean, this movie, really, they went really above and beyond to just get the look of it down, and I think that's why it works so well. Something I thought that was really interesting when I was doing some research is that I was reading that the British, like, Antarctic, like, research teams, every June 21st, they watch this movie. It's like a holiday for them, basically. <laughs> oh, so, wow. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny. Like, Do lifeguards get together and watch Jaws? <laughs> yeah, it's like, but could you imagine being there just watching the worst thing that could happen? Like, like isn't this funny. fun? Yeah. Like, ah. um, I would kind of like to go back a bit mm-hmm. and talk about the time that this movie was released and it's the reception it got at the time. So mm-hmm. it came out the, the same day as Blade Runner, right? And within the same summer of E.T., mm-hmm. right? And I think we all know who the winner is in that one. Yeah. Um, I just, I meant to bring this up earlier, but I think because of the time that like America was in like it's it's the time of American exceptionalism and every being pro USA mm-hmm. USA number one you know you got the Cold War you got all these things going on and that this is just too negative for the people of the time yeah no no I would agree I think that's what we're talking about like yeah like ET is just so happy and friendly and you know all this and this is just something like people had never seen before okay we like this movie more obviously than but come e. on yeah. do you really want to be in this situation or do you want to be an et no you e. want to be an et et's a homie dude you know what exactly. i mean exactly no i mean i wouldn't want every alien i wouldn't want the alien encounter i have to be the thing yeah if, <laughs> if aliens are real i hope it's et like yeah. i pray to god this is not real like this would never happen it didn't yeah i didn't i think it it played more into once the country became a little uneasy with not trusting people. That's when the, like the feelings that the thing gave you, it's that's when it, AIDS. like that's when it bounced back. Cause I mean, <laughs> it, it literally happened 10 to 20 years later where you said they just, cause first it just kind of picked up a cult classic. And then now it had really a lot to do. He's like, a lot of people just ended up seeing it on TV all the time. It got shown on TV all the time. It's what happens now. Movies flop and then they're on demand and people rent them in the comfort of their own home. And they're like, mm-hmm. this is kind of rad. Well, yeah. It's just crazy to me that two of arguably, I know in our eyes, like two of the best movies ever come out on the same day and just totally flop. Like, and I, I think that's kind of crazy. And I mean, it's, it's just really interesting because uh, kids I d- are going to love it. I yeah. did think <laughs> I did think that the thing um, hasn't like changed at all since then. But like Blade Runner did technically have its theatrical release, which was which was bad, apparently, yeah. you know, I haven't seen it, so I wouldn't know. But. I think there is that interesting that the thing hasn't had to have like a recut or a director's like it's it's the same movie. In it just opinion, resonates better. Is the thing better than Blade Runner because it didn't need seven different cuts and a million different versions to get it right finally? I mean, overall, I do enjoy the thing more than I enjoy Blade Runner altogether. So but I mean, yeah, the fact that it's the original movie compared to, you know, honestly, all the recuts, I, yeah. I think I like the ideas of Blade Runner more, mm-hmm. but like from a from an economy standpoint, like I think I'd watch the thing more because I can watch it more times yeah, and it's more accessible to a lot of people. Like you could, let's have a few drinks and you guys want to watch the thing Mm -hmm. instead of like, yo, it's time to open your mind, bro. To the possibilities of what it means to be oneself. I will, I will say though (laughs) that it is interesting that I think Nate's talked about this before that Ridley Scott has two of probably the best movies ever that were like, he had to cut them later and they're like, no, look at my version of these movies. So I don't know maybe if Ridley Scott, whoever he was making the movies with, wasn't just given as much creative freedom as John Carpenter was for the thing, you know, maybe universal was more tolerant to 
try to give him like creative expression and maybe Ridley Scott at the time they were like no if you had a time machine to go back to only view one of these on opening day which one would you see the thing I go I'd see the thing you'd see the thing yeah, I think for sure would. I feel the same way like I, I just think that horror experience would be so much more fun that would be fucking gnarly to see that in theaters open. like that'd be crazy I'd be looking around like you guys see what do you guys think yeah. with your 1982 brains, <laughs> yeah, right? right I wish that'd Dude, be so nice. Something else that I thought that was interesting, just kind of bouncing off of the initial reception of this movie, is that the composer of this movie, which I know we kind of talked about the music a little bit, but it was Ennio Morricone, that's his name. Yeah, he uh, he did the score for this, and he also did the score for Django, and uh, when that came out, when Tarantino's movie, but. He used this leftover score from this movie, from the thing in in uh, um, Hateful Eight, Eight. and um, in he got nominated for a Razzie for the thing for score. the thing, yeah. And he won a fucking Oscar for the Hateful Eight. So it's almost just kind of like yeah. you guys really just wanted to shit on this movie, didn't you? Like it, they you couldn't did. even like see past. Maybe you didn't like the the story or the violence or whatever you want to talk about, but. The, the fact that you overlooked the score and they gave it a fucking Razzie, like, it almost makes me think, like, you guys didn't really judge this fairly when it came out, but... It's so exaggerated, but that's what makes it so good. Uh, yeah, that's and what And I it think is. that's, like, Ennio Morricone is a heavy-handed composer as well. Mm -hmm. Like, it is about him in those moments, you know? And, like, I know a lot of people think it's a detriment to the score when it overtakes the movie itself, like, when the score is making itself known instead of just being, like... Um, feeling natural to yeah. the, the shifts and tones in the movie. But when you have somebody like this, you got to let him cook. Let him shine. Yeah. yeah. Like he's, he's one of the best for a reason. Like, so yeah, yeah, definitely like 10 out of 10 score. Yeah. Like when I was watching the alien encounter scene yesterday in, in prep, I was just like, dude, this is so good. <laughs> no, like I had, so I raised good. it. I cranked it as high as it could go because I wanted to hear it. This My favorite is, sound that it does is right when it starts to begin, like the dog transformation. It goes, those little streams go. Yeah. That sound. I'm like, oh my God. It's a lot. It's so <laughs> creepy. Um, what do you think is like your overall favorite scene in the movie? I think I'll, I'll just touch on, I think I said it earlier, but my favorite overall scene is the blood testing scene. Mm. I love that part. I really Damn. do. Mm. That is, that is the full. That's the culmination of you everything. get everything. Yeah, it's it's the fine. It's a it's a heading of all the tension and and the anxiety that's been induced throughout the whole movie, and then you get an incredible payoff with the the transformation. I think. I think mine is the discovering of the the Norwegian or the base. Oh, and they go. Is it Norwegian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Norwegian. Norwegian yeah. He says it's Swedish. It's Swedish. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> what does it matter to me? Huh? Yeah. Um, I think that's my favorite scene. It's just because the the set design is incredible. It's so simple but super effective. Um, it looks like something that I know. I bring these up all the time, but it looks like a maze that you're walking does, through. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, the way it is built too. It's like it's leading you towards it. Mm -hmm. Like there's nowhere to go except towards this thing. Like you can't miss it because. It's just where you're headed once you walk into this thing. And then the music and then like the reveal of the spaceship and everything. And just that told that total moment of like, oh, fuck, this is bigger than any of us could have could have imagined yeah, like that the, it would the, be. Something is wrong. Like something really did happen. And I love that post this scene, the movie doesn't really spend the rest of its runtime trying to is OK. Do I believe them? Do I not believe them? It's very much like. 
well, we're all scientists, so I'm telling you something, and let's just go from here. It isn't uh, questioning of like they must be crazy. They didn't actually see that. It's it just leans it leans into it. Yeah, they're very logical about everything, yeah. which I like. So I think that's my favorite scene. What about you, Ro? I think my favorite scene might be the chest stuff when he just like um the chest his chest bursts and takes his oh, arms. The chest when Kurt Russell pours the drink into the computer. Oh, in the Are beginning, you that's your favorite scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like cheating. He's just cheating, a, cheating bitch. bitch. Yeah, <laughs> no, the chest popping up and taking his arms. I think I really that whole segment is the fact that I found out that it was really disgusting to shoot but i think when his neck stretches Dude, out that's an, uh, yeah. and the fact that i learned how that was made and that it, it's a lot of like just plastic and bubblegum just made to stretch and um i think to me what really tops off that scene is that when the head walks off you gotta be fucking kidding me yeah and then <laughs> so you see it as a spider and then i i just think that's when they find out too that like it doesn't need a full body to even be an entity. They really are. Like that's when he said, like as long. Then he does the blood test because mm -hmm. he's like, well, any part of this thing is gonna want to survive on its own entity. It's not one big thing. It's like all of it becomes little different organisms, which I think is once again just really good story writing to give you just how crazy this alien is. It's the same way that it, having all of these weird things that you wouldn't recognize because it's been through so many dimensions. I like how it, we know all of that without actually being told any of that. It's all shown to us. And I, and I think that's why that scene for me is just perfect because it kind of opens up to you to realize that this thing is nothing like anything you've seen before. Ooh, I, I wanted to bring this up since I was talking about my favorite scene. Uh, so from the, from the discovery and all of that, like when they go research the base and then they bring back that Norwegian corpse. Oh yeah. I think that's probably, that actually is my favorite effect in the entire movie because it's just so disgusting. Yeah. The it's double like body the face. That's like split Splitting. into two. Ooh. Yeah. Even the doctor's face when he opens it up, he's like yeah. disgusted. Even from then too, it's like, because it's right in front of them, they can't deny that it's real. It's just, how do we try to logically explain or get out of this situation? And I just really love the way this movie's handled because I think it would be a B movie if you just totally went like gonzo bat shit off the rails from here. I, I think it's respectable because they're scientists. And like you said, they, they approach or Nate said they approach everything like not dumb characters. They know what we're going to approach this with science. And once they find find out, it's an alien or whatever. It, I like you said they don't really think like no that it could never be that. It's like well no it's that it's for sure that they don't spend the runtime questioning what's going on. The runtime is to me is well survival. No, yeah, I think so too. I just I dude I love by the end of it that they're like dude we're fucked but we have to stop this thing like you know what I mean because I think they ran the like the simulation or the whoever was doing it beep, 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 and beep, they were beep, like in th if this thing reaches civilization the humanity has three years just like and there's nothing that they can do <laughs> so, yeah exactly yeah bringing it back to annihilation but it's so good and an another thing that i think is interesting is because i have seen the the prequel to this which basically if you don't know it it covers like the norwegian base and what happened there and basically like in that movie or in that story the the thing basically just kind of starts like attacking everybody right away and it like obviously does not work out well so i think that's why it was really interesting in this movie that the thing seems to be a little more sneaky about stuff and it's really just trying to escape and get the hell out of there i just think it's interesting in the, in the story i feel like at that point but at the point of this movie the 1982 one 
the thi- yeah exactly Nate <laughs> we're seeing the alien or the Norwegian base scene right now um, but what I wanted to say is that I feel like by the time it's left the Norwegian camp and it's gotten to our camp that it has already evolved to the point of like knowing that it needs to hide itself mm-hmm. and assimilate amongst them to like it's like it's helping provoke the and stir the pot you know what I yeah mean? you see how fast it really does learn that's it's like it's survival mode and it knows not it doesn't have to be aggressive for the, and it's also i think it's also in a way testing to see because it's been frozen for so long i mean the other ones kind of disturbed it right so maybe that's why it was more aggressive but at this point it's kind of more like i have to survive so hopefully I can make friends with maybe they'll be friends with me. That's why he's not so hesitant to change in front of them or attack them. It's up until they put the dog in the kennel. Then he goes, OK, I need to get like the other dog so I can assimilate. But since the dogs are smart huskies, they like start making the noise and then it gets caught mid transformation. When it sprays that <laughs> the other juice, I don't yeah. even want to. There was another word I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> when it sprayed all over the husky and you see it just start to like deteriorate yeah, like and stuff like that. That stuff was gnarly shit, dude. Uh, trigger warning if you're a dog lover. Be like, <laughs> Some overcooked pasta. Like, what the fuck is that? That's why I said uh, when I was watching yesterday writing notes, I was the best trained dogs of all time, good boys, because I'm sure they were scared. And I did find it interesting that the main dog. Um, it's called Jed. He was a trained dog, half half husky, half wolf. Um, it was kind of really hard for to work with him apparently because he's like a wolf. So he's not very trusting of people. And there was this scene where he kind of walks through when they're all sitting in the in the lobby. And he said it was really hard for them to get that because he just is too shy of a dog. But um, the guy who ended up being really close to the dogs, I forgot his name. Gus, do you know his name? Clark. Clark. Yeah, he said that. He got to work with Jed a lot, obviously, and then they formed, like, a bond, but he did nothing like a husky, so he didn't bark. He didn't, like, growl at anything. He's, like, so all those scenes where he's kind of walk the one that you brought up where he's walking through, it's just him really just puzzled at, like, what's going what on. Hell? What is this? But then he said that for some reason, when he would get startled, he would just give, like, a death stare. And, like, his trainer told him, like, if he gives you that, just relax. Like, but he's threatened, like, when he does that. And I just found that really interesting because, I mean, the whole animal training in any movie is always very impressive. And I think even all the dogs here do a really good job. Um, a funny moment that I really like in the movie, and it felt like this is the only literally me moment of the movie, is when Kurt Russell is sipping the whiskey and he's talking into the recorder about what's going on. He's leaving behind a tape. It's basically the, if you're hearing this, we're already all dead, yeah. right? But I was like, dude, that's the literally me moment. He's talking, he's sipping the whiskey, and he's recording something that no one will probably ever listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Australia school of like, no, <laughs> literally me right now. Like, I'm McCready. Oh <laughs> man, there was true, also though. just other funny character moments that I really enjoy because I think these are like really lived in in depth mm-hmm. characters. So like, uh, I think a funny one is Palmer. He's the guy who wears like the headphones yep. and he smokes the joints. I like how when they're telling or not telling when they're describing the situation, he's like, bro. We all know this that uh, that uh, aliens have already assimilated. He's like, "What do you think's going on in South America?" Like, yeah. <laughs> and the note I wrote is that he would definitely be on Infowars. Yeah, yeah place today, and he made it out. He was like, "Do you want to know what's going on down in Antarctica, brother?" Yeah, <laughs> he's a he's a four chan man. Um, did That's anyone so notice nice. that Fuchs has like a nose ring? I did yeah. notice that. Did anybody find anything about that? Is that just a bold? 
costume decision? Just a cool guy. I do not know. Yeah, he's just, you know. I didn't read it. I didn't find anything on fucks. it. You know I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this knows why it's symbolic that I fuck. Fuck, yeah. Like yeah. 60. I yeah. did notice because I was watching, I was watching it on the big TV yesterday and it like glimmered at the, I was like, what is that? And then, what the fuck? My wife asked me and I was like, I don't think I can figure that That's one out. So like, I don't know. I don't know everything about movies, but why would I know why he has a nose ring? That actor might just have him. Like, yeah, just rock it. I yeah, yeah that's really pretty cool. Know. Yeah. Uh, yeah Keith, scientist. I mean, Keith David's cool as fuck. We already said that. Um, I do think that other than uh, McCready, that Dr. Blair has the best, strongest performance in this movie. So his meltdown in the lab, like, I, it reminds me of The Shining. When of Jack Torrance and everything. Shit. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, and he's, like, taking the axe to all the computers and yeah. stuff like that. and. What do you think is happening in that moment? Like, that he already... Well, obviously he's infected, but what game is the alien playing? I literally think... Okay, honestly, I've thought about this. I think the alien is trying to get trying to get separated from the rest of the group so he could build the ship. That's true. Like, I think he's trying to manipulate, like, yo, I'm crazy. Move me somewhere else, and I'm going to build my ship and get the fuck out. I, uh, yeah, that's, that, like, that that's, makes that's sense. the only thing that I've really I thought do, about. That. I do think it's funny that they assume that the thing wants to find population to become everybody, but maybe How do we it's, know it doesn't want to just go back the fuck out. out. Yeah, yeah, because it crashed. You maybe no it just crashed. Be like, I'm trying to leave, bro. Nobody knows. <laughs> Endless questions, obviously. Yeah. But another one of my favorite parts about Blair is when he's in that shack and McCready goes and checks up on him, and he's like, "I'm good, man." You can, it's so unconvincing. It's almost yeah. like the thing is doing that to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just also makes me wonder, like, after the thing assimilates, like, how much does it get people's memories? Like, obviously, it gets some sort of something because it knows people's names. It knows how they act. Like, it's just crazy to me. And a, a Childs even kind of plays on that because he says if he's 100% like me, how would you know he's not me? Mm-hmm. And it was only like, yeah, only Whoa, stuff like the blood test. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Something like a, the blood test was the only thing. You guys ready to start winding yeah, this down? Yeah, I think so. I Bro, would s- you have something you want to? S- you need to get off your chest. No, I was just gonna say we have to talk about like the ending. Oh, this oh, what do you think yeah. happened? Or just what you guys know. think? I don't know. I don't have an opinion on what happens. Honestly. I don't really know. I like to subscribe to the idea that um, Childs is assimilated and that his little jug thing was full of gasoline. And then Childs drank it, and so he's like, ah, oh, fuck. You know what I mean? Um, I, I know that Dean Cundy has apparently put some kind of, uh, like, a giveaway in the movie by, if you look at their eyes, like, there's certain, like, refractions from the light mm. on people's eyes who are already infected and then, or not. But I think he said that, and that's not something he was supposed to say. Maybe. Because I know I do know that John Carpenter wants, wants it to be open-ended, and him and Kurt Russell kind of came up with the ending together and Kurt Russell was was of the frame of mind that it can't be a solid answer even if it feels like if you feel like there is one okay cool but as the filmmakers of this movie we can't give them a solid answer it has to be a mystery because the the people in the movie don't know so why should the audience know which I think is no, I like is it. really fun. No, I like it, and I know there have been um, there's been like graphic comics and stuff that have come out that like takes place afterwards, and there needs to be a really really good video game version of this. That'd be fun. That'd be hard. Yeah, that'd be really I mean, maybe cool. there has been, but I mean I know John Carpenter's a he's an e boy, he's a gamer, so they Get should they it. need to hop on that. Right he did away. he did uh, record an alternate ending to the movie that never got shown, but they did record it. Do you know what it is? Yeah, it, then which is why I think it's funny that he's kind of like it's open ended. It's McCready at the end being at a station and they do the blood test on him and he's negative. 
Mm. And they never showed that. The reason they recorded it was because um, Todd Ramsey said that at the time, which is kind of funny because it's true. They're like, people aren't going to like the ambiguous ending. You're going to have them like, give me the answer to this. And I think if you want more of like that solidified, the people feel like, oh, I know what happened. That you should record this, but test it in your screen footages or like when you're testing the, the, the movie see how the audience receives the two different ones but John Carpenter said ultimately at the end he felt that his version that what they worked on with Kurt Russell was better to what he had extracted from the original story from 1937 which was to leave it open ended to this thing you, we don't we don't understand it so necessarily you don't want to understand the so ending so i never looked into the alternate ending but since you have i feel like you're the only one of us who has had time to think about that I mean, this is one of your top five movies. So, do you really think that an alternate ending would make it better? No, that's like, on, no? that's a, that's a word. That this is that's the right a word. Ending? Yes, but like the reason why I say that, I guess this ended up kind of confirming how I felt about it, even the second time that I watched it, because to me, there's little hints. Like for like yesterday, for example, I thought about it. Like they keep talking about like none of them could survive if they were out in the snow without the tracks and like how McCready's character barely made it back. Right. And so then we find out that he's human, but child's leaves and then comes back and he's like, I found my way back, but he's like sweating. I've seen like, there's hints too. It's like, he's not producing like, um, oh, the, yeah. Cold bread and and McCready's like, like freezing. Yeah. Like there's literally like, dri like, um, Frozen icicles. Yeah. Like, cause yeah. he said like, it's going to be a hundred to below zero. And then he was saying like, the um, child's character is like it's it's hot here, right? And like that's what I'm saying. Like, he starts laughing because like, how are you hot? Like it's a hundred degrees below zero. It's like I know you're it. And they start telling you know what? At this point, we're both way too tired to even find out where this is gonna go. Gonna and they know while. that they're gonna die. So it's like fuck it. Like who ca who cares? We're both gonna die here. So at this point, we're so way too tired. And then I think yesterday, I I didn't find about about this until I checked out the special features after watching the movie about that they shot the alternate ending. But I did feel that I had gotten enough hints on this last watch to think that Childs is is the thing, and I don't think that. Um, I mean, this is just this could go on forever. Yes, but then yes. How does he pass the blood test? If he like, well, is he, that the thing assimilating to the point where it doesn't give away? It's no, I, mean, I don't think he ever because you know what I mean? No, I don't think I don't think he ever I think McCready survives and I think he ends up killing like in that alternate ending. He ends up killing the thing. But I don't really like that. They deal with the issue. I would rather it be we leave it open ended. And then the thing you leave me in a mindset that the thing maybe took him and then did take over the world. I would rather that than you give me the straightforward answer because I, I feel like the film on its own is already too ambitious to give me an answer. So. Yeah, like I feel like if McCready is not the thing and then they don't show the actual ending of like, well, what happens from there? That it's like, well, what was the I don't, I don't get what you're trying to say by him definitively not being the thing. Yeah. Because I, I, at that point, be like, why why was he able to deal with the issue and the Nor the Norwegians weren't? And I guess maybe it's because he's smart. It just Because he's American, brother. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I just think that's more of the action action type of ending. Yeah. Like, oh, the, the guy got it done. You know, the dude got it. But I, w I did would rather prefer the way that it was. And I only found that out through, you know, just doing research, you know. No, but, I, I really do. I like I in my head, it's canon that Childs was the thing. 
McCready probably killed him, and then McCready probably died out there in the snow. That's better to like, me. That's what I like to think. Because like, they said till spring. Like, so how did he end up surviving? Yeah, right? There's no, there's no way to get out. Like there's, there's nothing you can do. That place is burned to the ground. You don't have a helicopter. You don't have a snow cat. Like and the fact stuck. that John Carpenter just didn't want to use it to me also be like I got to respect that it almost doesn't exist. Okay. Uh, final, are those our final thoughts? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Are we if you, we dude, spoke uh, our piece. Yeah, if you haven't seen this movie, go see the damn movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, come on. Uh, I yeah. I did want to bring up that it's I believe the fiftieth anniversary of this movie this year, and it is being reshown again next month in big screen. So if you haven't seen it, I would suggest watching it on the big screen because that. Would be. We should really just fun. release this one around the time of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like that, the. Yeah. Is it gonna line up? I wonder. Maybe. Hit all the <laughs> buttons. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>